Welcome to Audible Brutality. Two grouchy musicians humorously complaining about the state of music today. Featuring Adam Percy and Tim Vandevan. Take it away, Adam and Tim. Well, 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 well. Good afternoon, Tim Vandeven. How are you, my friend? Good afternoon, Denman Island. Uh, hey, Mr. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Channeling my inner Robin Williams. Uh, how, how, how the heck are you, fella? It's been it's been a little while. We've both been busier than, uh, let me see here. What's the analogy I want to use that won't make my mother sad? Uh, busier than uh, ants at a picnic. How about that? Uh, you know? <laughs> there you go. There you go. I was going to say cats in a bag, but that is, you know, that's not actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we've both been pretty busy. And then, well, you know, I mean... It's it's hard on a podcast, but you know it is it is good because that means that you know you and I are both working on music, and I know you've got your own little projects that are going on, and I got mine, and you know so eventually we we come around and bump noses from time to time and squeeze out an episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just eat enough brand to squeeze out another episode of Audible Brutality. You've been doing some drum tracking and stuff recently. Actually, I know you've been doing some stuff for me. Yeah. Have you been doing any work with anyone else? Or? Well, the third Beatle of this podcast, Mr. John Greenberg, sent me some songs a little while back, and I was Fun more times. more more than chuffed to get on board with that. That was a, a, I'd say that was about two to three weeks ago, so a Saturday night where it's like, you know what? There's nothing going on. We're still in this pandemic and stuff, and... You know, it can't go anywhere. can't really see anyone, although that is loosening up in Quebec. But I was, John sent me these songs and it was like, oh, I love these. These are great, great songs. So in they go, into the machine. I get to run my new sexy in and out gear, my new sexy sound card gear. <laughs> and, you know, just had a time recording them. And it was a lot of fun. Fantastic. But what was really cool, though, is to talk about the stuff that you and I did as well. I used the same setup that I used for you, which I thought was fun because you challenged me to do something a little, a little, not out yeah. of my wheelhouse, but it's not usually the, the thing I look for when I'm trying to do drum tracks at home. Um, yeah, you know, and I think we should maybe be clear to the listener too. Mm -hmm. Tim and I have, you know, done a lot of to the listener. <laughs> Tim and I have done a lot of sort of back and forth. Um, you know, we've actually been doing a lot of virtual recording before the pandemic. Like it's just been a thing and you know, with the digital age, you know, it's been a lot easier to do things like just, you know, post your tracks to an FTP server. Uh, we actually, I actually used to own an FTP server mm -hmm. in my house. That's it. Um, just for that purpose. But uh, no, it's <laughs> it's gotten a lot easier. And um, you know, uh, one thing that definitely I think we should talk about because yeah, mm -hmm. there is this the new project that I kind of sent you, and I was I was really I gotta say I was really super happy with the the output you gave. And it's not well, thank that, you. Like you've you've always given me really great drum tracks oh, thank um, you. and I've always been super happy with them but um it was nice when I kind of 
gave you that little extra challenge that, you know, and I know you got some new swanky gear, but that you mm-hmm. kind of, you know, were able to sort of deliver so fast. So I guess to my point is, is, you know, you're a home studio guy. How mm-hmm. do you, you're playing an instrument that's loud and, you know, probably drives the neighbors crazy sometimes. <laughs> so <laughs> how do how do you make that work? Like, and, and how do you make, not only how do you make that work, how do you make that work and get such nice recordings? Like what's, what's sort of in your, in your, in your wheelhouse there, Tim, that makes those special? Well, what makes it special, first of all, is a good song to be inspired by. Let's be honest. If you sent me, you know, 16 minutes of you farting in the moonlight, I might not be inspired to give you the greatest drum sounds. I might, I might sort of listen to it and go, okay, well, I don't think that, uh, you know, the, the Bonham sound or the Ringo Starr sound or the Jim Keltner sound belongs here. I think I should, you know, to go back and make a joke again, let's eat a lot of bran and I'll fart on top of your farting. But well, then I, you know what, Tim, I'm not sending you my next track. Oh man. (laughs) That's that was the name of your next album, isn't it? Farting in the moonlight. I just ruined Christmas again. Damn. Damn it. I'm I'm so bad at this, you know, 5,000 kilometers away and just ruining everything for Adam. Oh yeah. Yeah. Next thing I'm well, to be fair, oh, to be fair, oh, to be fair. But you didn't know I was farting into a microphone and recording it either. So. Well, as long as I don't have to sing into it afterwards, I'm okay with that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, well, this is well, important. So, at first, when I started the home studio thing, I want to say because, of course, this goes back to the four track days um, when I used to write mm-hmm. and, and do stuff with my buddy Paul Casey. And even earlier with with John Greenberg, way, way, way back. But I had a Fostex X15 back in the day. And it's, it only allowed you to have two inputs. So recording drums was difficult because, you know, where are you going to put the two mics, right? So my right. at the time, my friend Paul Casey said, hey, there's this weird little mixer you can buy that runs on a 9-volt battery from Radio Shack that's 20 bucks. And what it does is it gives you, you can plug four microphones, again, not XLR, but the Radio Shack microphones with the hardwired um, quarter-inch tip on them, the TS tip. Yeah, um, you could plug four mics in, and all of a sudden, and then you're sending out two, two, uh, you know, four in, two out kind of thing. So I remember thinking, oh man, that just upped my game. I can put some mics around the room, you know. And I remember I used Radio to... Radio Shack again for the win. Oh, Radio Shack for the win. I mean, I miss that store uh, like the flowers miss the rain, Adam. That's I, I loved that store. <laughs> and I mean, so I would I would be doing these demos with Paul or I'd be writing songs and, you know, trying to play keyboards in time because this is all pre-computers and stuff in the 90s. And this is to tape. And I would be trying to track the drums and I'm trying to find the way that I can get the drum sound to translate to tape and sound half decent and the only way back then really because i couldn't close mic stuff so you're sitting there with your five-piece kit with your three or four symbols whatever you don't yeah. have I, I have four inputs right i don't have four inputs that are just then bust down to two which eventually get bust into a mono track you know because then with paul i've got to like send him give him this track and he's got to turn that into <laughs> you know he needs the other three channels yeah. to put the guitar and the bass and the vocals on or if there's keyboards we got a ping pong stuff you know sergeant pepper style here but yeah you got a beetle beetles that shit <laughs> yeah 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 there's <laughs> yeah. more ping pong than than you know than the summer olympics but 
Um, <laughs> we ended up, like I would end up doing this and I'm trying to figure out how do I get the drums to project a bit? So it's like, well, we're going to, we're going to tune them up, you know? So tune the bottom heads up, tune the top heads up. I need them to be a little bigger because the mics can't be close. I can't put a mic on every Tom. So, so that's, that was sort of the start of my, you know, the big drum sound, the big Tim drum sound sort of recordings. And then, you know, so fast forward to, you know, I want to say 10 years later, I've got a, you know, I got a crummy laptop. I got a little eight channel input, um, firewire mixer, which to me was like, that was like, Oh, you know, fine. I've got eight inputs. Oh my God. You know? And still most of the stuff I would just go with three or four mics because that's what kept working. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember that like, well, and and we'll get to the, to the, the project that you know, we started working on in a bit, but mm-hmm. I remember that with a lot of the stems you would send me a lot of times. Yeah. It was like you would, you would do like a, a, a kick close mic mm-hmm. usually. Um, and, uh, I think you were even kind of Glenn Johnsing this a little bit where, yeah, like you just yeah. had like these overheads, but positioned in such a way that you kind of get this surrounded feeling and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like oftentimes, and, and maybe like a, you'd send me like a drum bus of something um mm-hmm. and you know not much else sometimes if i was just like oh can you just mic the snare for me you'd do that but yep. like on the whole i'd yeah i'd maybe get like four five tracks of drums and but it was it was always quite nice because it was it was actually pretty that and and i want to say too that i think this is this is a trap that i think a lot of people do sometimes fall into especially with something like drums a lot of people who maybe aren't drummers, uh, you know, or aspiring producers look at a drum kit and go, Oh fuck. I got to make everything. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, they get it. They almost get in over their head where they're like, you know, having to close mic everything. And then, but then you have 16 channels of just drums that mm-hmm. you then need to mix. And it's like, you yeah. know, and, and maybe you can talk about this because often I mentioned you often would send me bust stuff Mm. um Mm. and bussing is something that i've been employing a lot recently too because it does it it especially for drums if you can just sort of simplify the number of channels you're managing Mm -hmm. into three buses Mm -hmm. and then tweak those that i'm getting some of the best drum sounds i've ever had and a lot of that is you know again sort of what you were doing originally um when you were sending me stuff for projects we were working on, can you elaborate on that? Like, sure, where, sure. You know, like what, what, what is sort of your drum bus technique? Like what, what are you throwing on these things, man? Like, well, before, like what I used to do a lot of was, um, I would do a, a, just a smooch, a little smidgen of compression in the overheads, mm-hmm. just a, just to tame some of the, the heavier hits, I mean, I'm fairly consistent. I'm consistent in the studio in a sense that it's not like, here's me playing drums. Boom, bap, boom, boom, bap, boom, bap, boom, bap, boom, boom, bap, boom, you know, so, or the, the dreaded, you know, that guy. Right. So, um, so, um, so I would always try the engineer's hair blowing back as he rolls the faders down. Yeah. Yeah. The engineer's like, so you sure you don't want to use the 808 on this song? Yeah. 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 
<laughs> but but so what I would do is I would try to take these. It's sort of the Jimmy Page, John Bonham approach. And I say Jimmy Page because a lot of the sounds that were captured of John Bonham were a direct result of Jimmy Page wanting things to sound a certain way. You're already mm, starting definitely. with a you're starting with a balanced drummer that the snare hits aren't ridiculous. He's not going through the cymbals when he's playing. So you've got all this sort of stuff. He's not he's not assaulting the toms like they just called his mother a bad name, that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> so what they would do, what he would do is he would he would try to he what sound worked. So and obviously like one of my holy grail sounds for drums was always in my time of dying off of physical graffiti. The drums right. are absolutely oh, yeah. stupidly huge. And it's not four million effects. It's very few mics. It's a great performance. It's a great sounding room. So yeah. for me, I would start with that because based on the limitations I would always deal with previously, I would start with my, you know, okay, so well, four mics has always kind of worked. So if we're going to add, we're going to add and then maybe subtract later if we don't need them. So right. that's how I used to do it. And I would send you a bus just as a reference and be like, okay, so here's what it sounds like just as a stereo mix. Because I, mm -hmm. I, I treat the drums, I try to treat the drums as a single instrument as opposed to here's a tom, here's a tom, here's a tom, here's a cymbal, here's a hi-hat, here's a snare, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But having said that, um, you know, my, my typical sounds were usually like very roomy. You know, maybe a close mic snare just in case you want to bump it up a bit or if you want to trigger something on it because it's tough to trigger from an overhead. You know, uh, yeah. again, a close up uh, bass drum mic, because, again, just if you need to bump it up a bit or if you need to trigger something again, it's difficult to trigger from the from the room mics. But when yeah. I when you presented me with this most recent project, you had specific ideas in mind. And I think the mark of somebody that's good in the studio is that. As much as I love the big, boomy, banging, huge sound, mm -hmm. if the if the song doesn't call for it, I should not play that. And you and I have been in in some situations where that that has been called for. Like you mm -hmm. know, we I think we talked about this before, but uh, you know, with the, on the Acid Test album, for example, there were there were clearly songs, and and I'll be honest, man, like I love the the big, boomy you know resonant syncopated drum sound mm -hmm. you know that you know again like you you're, you are channeling a little john bottom i think every single drummer on the planet probably does that to a certain degree <laughs> they'd like to um, yeah they'd like to for sure yeah yeah no they'd, they'd like to whether they can that is a whole other question but <laughs> um no but I, I i like i like this sort of big boomy sound that you go for but on on that ep there were certain songs that were um, you know, maybe a little more um, sort of like indie rock mm -hmm. kind of drum sounds where, you know, like the pace is a little higher and, you know, we th we were going for this almost guitar wash mm -hmm. wall thing going on with that song. And it's just sort of like, no, you know what? These drums need to cut. And jumping into that project that we were talking about, and I'll, I'll name it. It's my friend Megan here on Denman Island, my mm -hmm. friend Megan Rose. Um, and, uh, we're working on a new EP and, t and Tim's helping us out with this. Um, Megan, uh, wrote this song that was recorded a couple years ago, uh, at another studio that, you know, and I wound up mixing the album 
that that originally was on for her. I didn't record it. Mm-hmm. And that song just didn't make, it didn't make the cut at the time. And, but it always was kind of popping around in my head, hmm. you know, like I'd be mowing the lawn and in comes this song into my head. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to do something with that one day. So one day I just decided to do that. And I called Tim and I was like, Hey man, would you be interested in trying something for me? And, um, so this is where the challenge kind of came in is because I asked you actually uh, for a kind of a really specific kind of sound. And, and mm-hmm. the reference I think I gave was uh, Train in Vain by yes. The Clash. As you the know, groove, yeah. So not funky, still kind of straight, but like you said, with a groove. And I really... I'm super happy with that. And and I think one of the things that you did was uh, you, you did some interesting tuning on the snare drum mm. for starters that I thought was like pretty cool. What, what was sort of the trick with that one? Because it it's, it's really tight and snappy. <laughs> what, what were you doing with that? Like what tight and snappy, tight and snappy. Mm, what, the name what? of our next episode, <laughs> tight and snappy. This uh, that's your, uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. So your up album. Yes. Uh, tight and snappy. <laughs> Yes, uh, it's uh, actually surprisingly it's detuned. It's tuned way down, right? Um, mm. As sort of into oh, I want to say Stan Lynch territory. He was the drummer for Tom Petty back with all the big hits. Where mm. back in the day, what they used to do was detune his snare drum down to basically a wrinkle on the head, muffle the head. <laughs> seriously, muffle the head, and then have him hit it really hard, and then you'd get that toot 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 kind of sound, right? Yeah. And it's because it was also, too, it was easier for them to sort of maybe gate it if they needed to, because there wasn't any extraneous buzz and snaring, snare things happening. But um, what I ended up doing was I I kind of channeled my inner Bill Berry, the drummer of R.E.M. Uh, for this, because right. I, a little Stan Lynch, a little Bill Berry. And what ended up happening was you would ask me for um, with the drums, you asked me for a specific sort of feel which gave me an idea of where I should go with it. And then you said you wanted a lot of isolation. You wanted, you wanted multiple microphones to be able yes. to, to, you know, to recreate the kit when you get, when you get the tracks. So mm. I, I think in total I was using, I want to say 12 tracks of drums. Um, that which, sounds, so you had, uh, you had a kick, a yeah. PZM on the kick. A PZM a snare. In, actually, I had a PZM in inside the kick, which is you know PZM I, I, in the kick. Yeah, I know, and I'm I'm hearing some of the people I played with going, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. The guy that won't cut a hole in his bass drum put something in his bass drum. Hang on, <laughs> hang on, <laughs> hold on. What did Adam Stop do to presence. this guy? So I had a PZM in the kick. <laughs> I had a, a Sennheiser 421 on the outside on the on the head, just to get the the thump and the rumble. The head is muffled with felt strips. Um, yeah, I had close mics. I took the bottom heads off of all of the, the toms, by the way, which again is like Tim went to concert toms. He hasn't played concert toms since the eighties. Um, <laughs> so I took the bottom heads off the toms. I tuned them down. I muffled them and I moved the mics inside the drums to give more isolation and to get more, yeah. bo- to get more bottom end is what I was, ch- was chasing. Um, Snare mic, top mic, uh, and then uh, a close mic on the top, of course. Then the uh, the classic that we used even with acid test, even with the big sounds that I do, that I send you sometimes, PZM under the snare, 
Um, yeah, so two- I love that fucking trick. It is like we've said this before, but if you want to add a little extra magical sizzle to your drum tracks, that is. Yeah. Anyway, please continue. Yeah, that was that, that was almost a necessity, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you ask for it every time, so I give it to you every time. So, um, but yeah. it's also what the bonus out of that is that you get some thump off the kick too. Like you get a you get a bit more attack because it's picking up the beater hitting the head because it's because yeah. most of the time you see that people um, mic the bass drum kick drum from the inside or from the front. Like it's one of the few drums they don't mic on the side where it's being struck by something. So the, the idea of the PZM on under the snare, it's getting the off the snare drum, which is really nice because it just gives you that little extra snappy snap, but it's also getting a little bit of the thwack off of the kick too. If you're, if you're, you know, if you want to use that, if you want to mute all that stuff out, fine, that's it. You know, it's your recording, go ahead. But if you want to use that, you know, it's in there. That's that the treble end of that is in there that actually gives the kick a little bit, bit more thwack. Well, and that's something I learned from actually getting tracks from you too. Is 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 to to actually pay attention to the beater. Mm-hmm. Um, it, <laughs> beater. Yeah. Pay attention to the beater because, um, yeah, I think I think you know, and of course, it's a bass drum, so everyone goes, oh, well, you know, it's it's all about the low end, and yeah, like. Obviously, the low end is a critical component, but mm-hmm. um, the one thing I started discovering, you know, as I started getting stuff from you was sort of like, oh, well, you know, the boom is nice, but you do still actually need some of those sort of mid-rangey, you know, almost, you know, almost like a a, 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 a little extra, you know, like mm-hmm. that, you know, accentuates the, the, the actual downbeat. If it's all whoom... Yeah, you know, you're gonna. It, it actually can get really easily lost. So having, yeah, even just that little PZM to give that little extra like attack thwack. Yep. On a bass drum, it, it's so nice. And and yeah, because it's it's a separate mic, you can add or remove as much as you want for mm-hmm. flavor, and it sounds. You know, you can. It works every time. It's such a great way to get a good kick drum sound. It's great. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, cause on this one too, you also sent me, uh, well, you sent me overheads. I did. Is, I, yeah, yeah. Everybody does overheads. Um, but you also sent me, uh, a stereo room pair and a mono room pair. Well, um, not a, not which a mono. I actually thought was kind of, yeah. or, uh, sorry, not just, a mono, but just yeah, a mono but, room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a, yeah. A, a mono up the middle. But, uh, so how how did you what what was the sort of mic configuration that you had going there because i know you're big on the ribbons on the overheads were you using the ribbons there no i was actually using the world's least expensive um condenser mics as my overheads as the symbol picker uppers if you will okay um the behringer c2s the you know back okay. back in the day you could buy a pair that comes in a nice little case with a little with a little mount and, you know, the, the two clips and some nice little uh, foamy covers in case you're doing stuff outside and it's windy. Um, <laughs> 60 bucks for these pair of mics, you know. Uh, so I was using those uh, as just the overheads. I thought I'd give those a shot. Uh, I hadn't used them in a while. Um, I ended I've always been using my ribbons, my Apex ribbons in the corners behind the drum kit. 
because of the figure eight okay. configuration of the of the mics yeah. because I point them both back at the snare drum essentially and that they're picking up sort of the room um, in a stereo way. It's and I find that with those mics I have to bump the 10k a lot because they're they're kind of wooly. They're I mean they're yeah not, they're very wooly. They're not they're not you know I'm sure that someone's listening to this going oh my god he's using those like what the hell I'm like well you know if you want to send me free microphones you know really good <laughs> high end microphones I will not say no. Well, but I was gonna say actually. It, I have to say I like I like the ribbons in that context. Like yeah. I I I often you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of engineers who would kind of maybe read me on this, but I I hate brittle cymbal sounds. Mm-hmm. Like I like nice full cymbal sounds, and I think that is that like, and I think that is the nice thing about the ribbons is because they're woolly, you tend to not get mm-hmm. so much you know, you know, high piercing 10 K plus sibilance, you know, sibilance. Yeah. Um, but also, but you also wind up getting a little bit more of the, it's interesting that you were pointing it at things like the snare, which tend to be sort of like the mid high kind of area in terms of the frequency, like, um, which is where, where you'd want to hear that. Right. Like, so, I can tell you. I can tell you why I'm pointing it at the snare. Uh, I'm trying to center the snare, um, right, in the mix, so that when you turn it up, it's like the. You don't want the drum kit to slide to the left or slide to the right all of a sudden, right? So, exactly. So that's what I'm doing. That's why I'm doing that. But it's all those are sort of like those are those mics that if you're listening to the mix and you're like and you're su- let's say that you're listening to the mix and you're super happy with the C2 overheads and you're, and you're thinking these things are killing me. They're so good. They sound great. I'm so happy. And then you bring up the ribbons and you say, well, it's not really doing anything more for me, so I don't need them. You can mute them. You know, maybe you're saying the C2s don't work for you. And yeah. so you go back to the ribbons so that you're still getting the cymbals and a bit of the drum kit resonating in the room. Well, and that's where it goes back to things like busing. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. actually what was super nice about, again, kind of what you sent me is it was actually, it was a really nice, easy way to bus yeah for me like so i could you know i could bundle all the kick drum and all the snare drum together and then the toms are on their own bus and then mm-hmm. like yeah i had actually i think i even had brooms and overhead on the same bus um <laughs> yeah. because yeah i i i i i'm i may use one or the other i kind of can't really make i'm still mixing it i can't really make up my mind i might there use more or less of one or the other but yeah it's it, I I have to say it sounds great and and I really like and I I want to go back to that point about people being intimidated by recording drums because I think that's another thing that you know a lot of people do and I've done this too where it's like you you're like oh I have 16 tracks of drums I can mix that's that is an awful lot of track to mix for anything <laughs> right yeah in a rock band um and this is where you know i think you know be you, you know starting to develop as a producer you need to start thinking about like once you sit down to mix what are you taking out you know what really needs to be there it doesn't the reason i asked you for that stuff is because i just wanted the choice not because i felt that like oh you know just you know tim 
doesn't know how to mic anything. So maybe I'll, you know, roll the dice and, you know, get lucky, I'll get lucky with yeah, like yeah, yeah. one of the one or two of the mics. No, it's because I wanted options, right? <laughs> maybe this recording he sends me won't suck. You know, that'd be cool. But no, but I well, mean, even to go back to the mono mic that you asked about, the reason that I put the mono mic in there was because that's that's basically the reverb channel in a sense. Yes. I, I put an Omni mic. I'm looking I'm looking to my left right now because, of course, I'm recording in my studio. I want to say about 15 feet away from the drums in the room I'm in. And I just pointed, right. pointed it straight back at the drums. And I just wanted to see what that would give me. And yeah, when I listened to the track, it was out of phase. So I moved it into phase. And then when I moved yeah. it into phase, the snare got bigger. And I was like, oh, so we're getting that Traveling Wilburys whack snare sound mm -hmm. you know that jeff lynn 80s production snare smack where it's like it sounds like you're hitting six snares at the same time you know yeah and that's oddly enough i was going to say like i i think i, I i'm definitely really enjoying that that one you know center room mic that you did that was like yeah i i, I totally hear what you're saying on that it was you know what we probably we'll be posting this at some oh, point yeah. after this song is mixed. So maybe yes. we'll post the song so our listener can kind of hear what the fuck we're talking about. Well, there you go. And also, <laughs> too, one last shout-out for Radio Shack because that's the mic. The two PZMs are Radio Shack. Yep. And the room mic, the mono room, uh, is a Radio Shack Omni. From, nice. You know, so that's that's – it's yay Radio Shack. Again, we've talked about sh shitty is pretty and sometimes – Sometimes, you know, if you get the gear to work for you and it, and, you know, it could have been, it could have been a, a failed science experiment. I could have put that thing up and went, oh my God, this sounds, this sounds terrible. You know, this yeah. is the, this is the worst. This is like, you know, like liver pate covered in chocolate. This is the worst thing I've ever seen, you know, <laughs> but when, when I ended up listening to it and thinking, okay, yeah, it is out of phase. So let's move it. Let's move it into phase, which is the beauty of digital recording. Yay. You know, not yeah. just flip the phase. Let's actually put it back in the phase. And all of a sudden, oh, 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 what have we here? We have that sort of Jeff Lynn sound that he was getting in the, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s on drum sets. I'm like, oh, yeah. Now, I'm not claiming the two have discovered Jeff Lynn's secret, but I've found some way to get a, a <laughs> smackier snare sound because it's picking it up in the room a little bit. Because, uh, of course, the high frequencies are going to travel a lot easier. So. Yeah. Well, and this is this is maybe also the argument too to not, you know, obviously you and I have a bit of experience, you know, like like a lot of producers, we have a bit of experience yeah. in terms of like, yeah, like throwing up a whole bunch of microphones and knowing what to expect when, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you know, pounding the drum skins. But this is maybe also an argument for maybe newer producers to not feel like they need to go so gonzo. Like one of you mentioned phasing. Yeah. And phasing is one of those issues that you will always have in a drum recording. Yeah. Always, always, unless you are recording one channel of drums, you're yeah. going to have phase problems, right? Because um, like you were saying with the ribbons, you're pointing at the snare. So you give a sense of the room that the snare is in the middle in the yeah. stereo mix. So if, if things aren't quite aligned up in terms of, you know the 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 you know because mics are picking up signal at slightly different times mm -hmm. 
that starts to cancel things out and you're you know and and if you're not sort of super savvy on phase and drum recording you're like why does my bass drum not sound like anything or to use your example with the snare like just flipping the phase on that room mic and boom there's like oh there's that sound there it is yeah um if you you know if you use less oddly enough you can probably get more because you're not you're dealing with a lot less of those really technical issues like how how you know drums are recorded and how those waveforms line up in the mm-hmm. final recording and it, not that it's tedious it, but you know you you might find yourself actually getting better results faster just by keeping it simple right so well that's that's why you saw those guys measuring when when you know the big thing the big rage on gear sluts uh, which they've yeah, thankfully Johns. sorry yeah. they, they've they've changed their name and i apologize to anyone that still doesn't like the old name i don't like the old name but it's i can't remember what the new one is because um, <laughs> i don't go there anymore but it's sort of like i i figured out what i needed to learn from there and i've moved on but um one of the things that was big on that website was the Glenn John technique. Glenn John's technique, easy for me to say. Yes, <clears throat> but it's and the reason was is that a lot of guys never figured out why they were measuring to the snare drum for all of the different mics except for the bass drum mic. It's because it's to keep it out of phase and to center the snare, you know, or yeah. to put it in phase. Sorry, not to keep it out of phase, but to put it in phase yeah. and to center the snare drum. Otherwise, the snare drum. If you've got a mic a little too close, it's, you know, suddenly the left channel is getting all the snare. And that sounds strange. Glenn Johns was a guy who was very, very focused on on getting a drum sound that sounded in a room. Like, yeah. you know, you, you could hear exactly where every instrument was placed. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, while it seems fiddly to be pulling out a piece of string that is a certain length and <laughs> measuring where this stuff is... The technique amazingly does, you know, give you a really great drum sound yep. without having to put up 16 to 20 microphones mm-hmm. to try and, and then, and then sit there and twiddling, you know, uh, pan position, yeah. you know, in your mix, trying to find where everything is because that technique is, is built specifically to give that impression with as few microphones as possible. Like, Indeed. Where's the room? Where is everything in the room? So treating it as an instrument, which is fun, which, you know, leads me to yeah. um, stuff that we've talked about before, but you and I have talked about, I don't know if we've talked about it on air, but we've talked about production a fair bit. And I think one of the things that would be really cool to talk about is production and arranging how they sort of the, you know, how they can work together. Um, oh yeah, well you know, for sure. For instance, you've spoken of the song of Megan's that's that you sent to me, and that you know you. <laughs> this is your turn of phrase. You you meat grinded it like you talked about with one nine seven six, right? Where you yeah. you know she had this song. You listened to it and you're like, hang on, let me just do this and do this and take that out and put this in instead and and move that over here and do this and do that. It's sort of like you know. You've walked in and rearranged the furniture in someone's house, and they said, "Oh wow, this this looks better," you know. So, you yeah. you, you did that. You did a you did an arrangement, and you've done this before. I've seen you do this before with other stuff that you and I have worked on that you've done with other people. So maybe like, and I enjoy your your arrangements. I've sent you chord progressions where I've said, oh, "I don't know where this is going, but it just sounds nice." <laughs> 
you know, and then the next thing I know, Adam sent me a song. He's like, here you go. Here's the song we just wrote together. I'm like, wow. Okay. They went there. Yeah, That's well, one cool. Nine, one nine seven six is an example of that. There's an, there's a song on an, on my own electronic project avro that uh actually was originally tim's idea he sent me a chord progression um or actually the other one i can think of was um was uh that song Fla- favorite flower that we did years and years and years ago <laughs> yeah. where you, you'd, you'd sent me i think it was and, and this I, i'm paraphrasing you here but you were like it's some you know depressing dirgy depeche mode synth thing <laughs> exactly that's it yeah yeah <laughs> you know it's like you know, i'm so depressed it's like you know patty yeah. and you know deep and you know moody and oddly enough and i i I'll be honest. I don't know why I thought this, but I'm like, this is a Motown song. Yeah. It went from slit my wrists to da 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 da. You know, like da 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 da. da. <laughs> yeah, like full on, like, you know, like, like, and, and we never kind of realized it because I think the problem was, is, you know, we wanted, I, I personally really, and maybe we should realize it, but I really wanted that. You know, like the full horn section, oh, and the, the backup yes. singers, and and someone who sounds like fucking Smokey Robinson singing it. And you know, well, we like, we were I lucky. We did that so bad. We had a killer singer. Maya Davies came in and knocked it out of the park and took our our fun little little you know dirge that you know went from you know depressing and gray mo- uh, Depeche Mode to Motown, but with <laughs> still with incredibly incredibly dark lyrics. Um, you know, she came in and yeah. really, and really made it something, something special. But yeah, no, but you know, and I think that's what it know. was. I think that's yeah. what it was. Tim is the was the lyrics. You know, because if you, you know, if you think of, I actually just mentioned Smokey Robinson. If mm-hmm. you think of Tears of a Clown, yep, that is an astonishingly depressing song. If you just read the lyrics. That's but it. if you hear the song, bum, you know, it's, it's fantastic, but you know, it, it, it's really sad. It is. It <laughs> at the is. Same time. So it's kind of like, I love that kind of contrast that mm. Motown often could do where it's like, you know, it's, you have something that's danceable and fun and, and, you know, really melodic and catchy with mm. some of the heaviest lyrics here. Exactly. Here. But I I think I, I like the the ideas that you have taken from other people. I've always loved the Adam Percy meat grinder. You know, <laughs> that it's the song is this and it gets turned in, into that. It still retains what it was, but it's like it's a bit better. So, I mean, as a producer, you do that a fair bit where, you know, you you're you're really hands-on. You're not just the guy that's like Welcome to my studio. Check, please. Okay, cool. So I hit the record button. You guys ready to go? All right, cool. Nice record. I'll mix that and send it to you. You know, you're very hands on. So talk about that a bit where, like, what is it that when you're listening to something, what makes you say, "Mm, I got to run over to the keyboard and change that? Or I got to run over to the keyboard and maybe add something different? Or, you know, maybe the chorus doesn't belong there. Like, talk about that a bit. I, well, I think some, you know, if you want to talk about where that come from, come comes from, I, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I could probably narrow that down to a few things, like you know, um, having a little bit of conservatory training, maybe mm-hmm. that might be some of it. But I think a lot of it, um, 
you know, like you, you think of guys like Quincy Jones, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not comparing by any stretch because Quincy Jones is like fucking God. But, yes. uh, you know, it, he he is very much an arranger producer. Like people go to mm-hmm. Quincy Jones and are like, like you could take any song that is terrible and give that to Quincy Jones and he will make that into a smash hit. He nice. is, he yeah. is, you know, he was the arranger, he was the guy for Frank Sinatra for Christ's sake. And. Sinatra wanted him for that. He mm-hmm. wanted him because he was a talented arranger, like, is a talented arranger. Quincy is still with us. Yes, he is. Uh, you know, if you're listening, Quincy, sorry, man, I know you're still alive. Um, <laughs> and if you're listening, Quincy, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's oh amazing. Oh, my God. Quincy Jones. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm an asshole. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, but um, I, I think for me, a lot of that probably comes when we talked to Colin Kelday in a previous interview about this, mm-hmm. a lot of this comes actually from, you know, having an electronic music background when, uh, you know, when electronic music sort of started becoming a thing, um, everything started to go into the computer and mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of computer music was very keyboard oriented and I'm a keyboard player. So, you know, because the digital age, I think in a lot of ways has made it very easy for you to, you know, you no longer have to take a piece of tape and cut it into pieces like Alan Parsons and move things around and mm-hmm. hopefully it all kind of works. You can do things in a non-destructive way. And I was doing that almost from the get-go of digital recording. So mm-hmm. I some of it might just be like that I'm really comfortable with the idea of taking things and just, you know, throwing some things out and trying something new and I was really involved in, I still do remixes from time to time. So I think remixing is a big part of that. Like, Mm, okay. You know, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably a combination of all of those things. And I know, I know not every producer is like that. And, and uh, you know, and, and that's fine. Like some people really just want a producer when they go in, they have their songs flushed out. You know, they're like, I'm a country guy. I don't want any I don't want any drum loops in this or anything any weird synthesizer noises I I'm coming in and what what I sing out is pretty much what I expect back mm-hmm. when it gets played back to me right um I'm not really that guy but um I, I guess that's part a, a big part of it is sort of where I come from I think that's it's, okay. that's just you know um I don't know if that's necessarily a common thing that producers do that but i i like meat grindering i like different perspectives uh, or trying things you know yeah but i i think there are some uh, i'm famous examples of producers that that meat grinder uh things in a way i mean we've talked about bob ezrin on this show before yeah if you are using bob ezrin as a producer it's going to have his touch all over it you know and yeah. usually I would say I've, I've yet to hear a bad Bob Ezrin record, but well, some people say kiss the elder was, you know, a terrible record. And I don't, I actually never bought it as a kid because by then I'd given up. But um, when he does stuff like Alice Cooper or even Lou Reed Berlin, it's mm. the, Bob, the Bob Ezrin touch. It sounds like nothing else Lou Reed did, but it, it's, it's art, it's concept. It's, but you know that Bob Ezrin's all over it, right? 
so that's an example of, of a producer that's usually all over it. He's not passive. He's not going to be the guy that just hits the, the record button and hits rewind when it's time to, you know, listen to the tape and see what happened. You know, the, yeah. he's, he's an active participant. And I, and I know that you are an active participant in a lot of the work that you do, even when you're not the producer. I mean, you were the producer for Acid Test, and I think that wouldn't have happened without you. Um, because I can't, Im I can't imagine who was going to herd all of those cats, you know, <laughs> there were a lot of cats. Oh yeah. my God. But uh, no, as, as our listener already knows, but yeah. yeah. And I don't know how that would have, I don't know how that would have sounded had it been somebody else that was a little more passive, like, sure, let's do 14 guitar tracks and make sure they're all on. Hey, let's do, uh, you know, that drum pass was good enough. Hey, you know, yeah, let's, let's, let's triple past the vocals or whatever you know left center right blah 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 whatever i don't know i don't know what it would have sounded like i know that it had your stamp on it when it was done but it also i think i think it brought the band into the 21st century for one you know it didn't sound well like, i think it we needed sound, that desperately anyway but yeah <laughs> yeah but, but I, I don't think it sounded like charlatan's uk redux you know like you know still trying to crank out you're the only one i know right and I'm not right. I'm not dissing the charlatans, but, you know, the only one I know is a great song, but it's from 1990. Right. And you don't want to yeah. keep trying to reinvent 1990. You want to move a little forward, perhaps. But I think that, yeah, no, I think that I like your approach. I like what you do. Well, I think, you know, some of it uh, I, and it's why, like, you know, probably why, you know, you and I have always had like sort of a long working relationship uh I have a pretty firm belief in that music is collaborative. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I may go in as a producer, but you know, it's, it ain't my record, man. Or, yeah. well, in the case of acid test, it was, but I was also a musician on that record, but you know, for the most part, it's not my record. I, I, I do try to come at it genuinely from like, you know, oh, well they've hired, they have, you know, I have been brought on to offer some sort of fresh perspective. Yes. Uh, I, that's always kind of the way that I'm doing it. And so like, you know, uh, does that always happen on every recording that I do? No, absolutely not. It, it depends on the artist, but if I'm offered to meet grind or something, mm -hmm. I'm not scared to meet grinder at man. I <laughs> honestly like that doesn't, that doesn't bother me in the slightest. I, I'm, uh, I think this is another thing too, is I do tend to be, I, I think I'm pretty technical. Like mm -hmm. I am not uh, not necessarily a great multitasker, but I when you, when I am committed to a task, I I my head goes down and nothing will dissuade me from that task. So oh, if yeah. it involves taking a song and pulling it apart by its intestines, mm -hmm. <laughs> intestines, intestines. If it means doing that, yeah. I will do it and put it back together as a supermodel, you know, for as long as it takes. Like, I have no problem with doing that. So mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of producers, yeah, like, or for a lot of bands, you're on the clock. You're looking at your watch and you're like, fuck, we do not have time to pull this apart. Let's just throw this song away and worry about it on the next album and on to the next song. And like, and mm -hmm. there's always a bit of that. And, um, but you know, I, I, another thing that I think is always sort of really important, uh, definitely when it comes to uh, arrangement, if you're talking mm -hmm. about like being a more arranger type producer, 
demoing. Um, I think this was probably yes. going back to what to Quincy Jones. You know, like he did a lot of his writing in a time where you couldn't just, you know, fucking go into Pro Tools and you know bang out a super quick demo and sort of you know iron out the kinks. But I know that he had like a, he has a very sort of broad um uh knowledge of of uh um of of actually writing music mm-hmm. sheet writing music um which i think helped him because you know, well unlike all you know maybe classical composers you know again like mozart man he didn't have a, he didn't have a digital recorder he didn't have a recorder at all he just was like it's in my head it goes down on the paper and there we go <laughs> there you go yeah it was so, a, it was a piano it was a quill it was some ink and a and a blank page so, but like a writer, guys like Quincy Jones, I'm sure, you know, would put something down and he would go back and he would revise and he would, even if it's in his head mm-hmm. or even if he's just in, speaking into a fucking dictaphone or whatever. Yeah. It's, you know, he's constantly going back and revising. And I think that's where demoing is super important too. And I'll, I'll use, um, acid test again, as an example, that was something that we, uh, we were scattered to the wind. We were we were band members in four different parts of the world. I had Lucy singing into her iPhone vocal lines and sending me those terrible vocal recordings. And I would take that. And- a, a portion of one ended up at the end of one of the songs, right? Yeah, actually at the end of Heartquake. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually used the phone recording of Lucy at the end of Heartquake because it actually kind of it was cool. Weirdly worked, but yeah, it was cool. Um, yeah, but the, because we were working remotely, and and I think this is a common thing now in the digital age, because we were working remotely, it was kind of important that we have at least that everyone have a very clear idea before we jump into the studio of what it is that we're playing <laughs> in the first place. Um, so a lot of it was, yeah, just getting people's rough rough raw demo material even if it's done poorly mm-hmm. sung poorly played poorly i didn't give a shit it's Doesn't a demo matter. just give it to me it's a I'll demo snip it up yeah. yeah make a frankenstein's monster and then what i do is i'd send those back to you guys mm-hmm. and be like here's what i'm kind of thinking and then you could go oh can we just take the guitar out of this part or you know oh maybe i'll do this differently on the drums or you know lucy would be like ah I should be wary of being pitchy there. Can we tune it down half a tone or something? Or yeah. y- you can, you know, so again, like the meat grinder in a lot of ways, like is, is being someone who can sketch pad really well. Yeah. Who can write things down who, you know, keeps it in their head, but also keep put, keeps good notes. I, I think it's also, so. I think it's also somebody that plays the long game in a way too. You're not yeah. the you're not the here and now guy because, you know, for instance, with the acid test stuff, I remember that's how I got the gig with acid test because you said, "Hey, listen, are you interested?" I'm like, "Fuck yeah, let's do this," and you said, "Okay, listen, I'm going to send you some songs. Here's what here's what I think would work. Let's do this." So I, you know, play the drums, yeah. send them back to you, and then you send them to the other two, and they were like, "Holy cow, where'd you find this guy?" You know. And you're like, well, I lifted yeah. this rock in my backyard and a bunch of things skittered out. And, you know, some of them had six <laughs> legs and some of them had many, many legs. And then there was Tim, <laughs> the drummer, lives under a rock. 
you know, just uh, it was naked like Gollum. <clears throat> yes. Uh, yeah. I've, I've been feeding him nothing but hot dogs and Cheetos just to keep him alive. But uh, yeah, um, but what, what worked with that was that you had the you, you, were, you were chopping their stuff up into some sort of semblance of time as well, because whenever I got a click, uh, a track from you, there would be a, you'd say the click is this. This is the, the BPM is it's one twenty five. It's it's 60. It's 73. It's whatever. You know, so it wasn't like I'm trying to play a demo to something that's like, dude, man, I'm speeding up and slowing down all over the place. You've already sort of chopped it into time, which I, which made my life really simple, really, really easy. Yeah. So, but but that's the stuff I loved about you know doing that work with you. And this again, you talked about this before how we constantly seem to be working together. It's because, you know an idea gets bounced off one of us and it comes back like even stronger off of the other one. It's like, Whoa, 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 hang on. I didn't think of that. That's cool. I like that, you know? And I can tell you that, that there is probably a little bit of risk sometimes in the meat grinder approach. Like, mm, um, mm. yeah, actually, well that, that, you know, mentioning, uh, Megan Rose's project again, the mm -hmm. song Boreal that we're working on. Um, Oddly enough, I, I mentioned it before, but it was a song that she'd actually written for another album that I mixed that she, she it just wasn't working at the time, how it was arranged and, you know, the instrumentation and, you know, the song itself is good. And that was the thing that always mm. kind of grabbed me with this song. And like I said, I'd be mowing the lawn and, you know, boom, the chorus comes into my head and mm -hmm. I hadn't listened to it in a year. And I'm like, fuck, this is a good song. I know it is because it just keeps popping in there. So how do I realize that? And, and, you know, so when I eventually did go back to it and I, I, I think one of the first things I did was call you and be like, can you do drums for me? Cause mm -hmm. I have this idea. And so I got you to do drums and I, I did a whole bunch of very different things from mm -hmm. the original version that, that Megan had done elsewhere. And she, and I, all I knew is that she just wasn't happy with, how it turned out. It wasn't that the studio made any mis before made any mistakes or whatever. It just, it just wasn't that song's time. It, it just couldn't get flushed out at the time. And there just wasn't time to finish it. But mm. I, I just knew it was good. So, um, you know, when I, when I demoed this and played it for her, uh, there was kind of a funny look on her face. <laughs> Hey, there's first, drums in my song. What happened? You got chocolate like, in my peanut butter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I kept on. So I, I, I probably made the mistake of hyping it up a little bit. I'm, you know, going like, I'm so excited about this song. I have these ideas. I really want this to, you know, like, mm -hmm. I think this is a fantastic song. We just need to make this happen. And I kept on hyping it and hyping it and hyping it and see see our previous know, episode about not blowing your load too early yes <laughs> exactly i got i got i just got a little too excited i think so when she first heard it i think you know there was this kind of like when it was done there was almost like this silence and she's like and and i'm looking at her going oh my fucking god she hates it <laughs> she hates it oh no what have i done i've made it worse now and you've ruined christmas she didn't. yes she was really listening to it okay right? and really trying to pull it in and sort of like go you know what i i i never i think what it was was i had never thought of my song that way hmm right? interesting and then when when the fog kind of lifted. She was like, that was fucking great. 
it's just but you have to you do have to have a bit of an open mind and a lot of times too when you're producing that way you ha- you being collaborative and requires an awful lot of compromise mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know you're dealing with artists you're playing with their babies <laughs> don't don't be pulling arms off the babies <laughs> Babies don't like that. It's weird, you know. Babies don't like that. It's very illegal uh, and and very cruel. But, but, you know, obviously, you know, with some caveats that, you know, maybe you're taking it in an extreme direction to see if we can find something in the middle. Sometimes that works. You know, sort of taking it in a whole other area. Going from Jersey to Peshmo to Motown. There you go. (laughs) there's a lot in the middle. Maybe you can find somewhere in the middle that makes it work. Um, because sometimes, too, you're, you're just stuck on it. Like Megan's song. You're just sort of like, I don't know where to go with this. I have no idea. Sometimes, sometimes the artist, and I, I've suffered from this, you're too close. You're standing yeah. too close. You're the guy, okay, the analogy for me is you're the guy standing in the forest looking at a leaf under a microscope wondering where all the trees are. Because yeah. you're just too close, you know? And so what it's the producer's the one that comes over and pats you on the back and takes the microscope out of your hand and says, Hey, look up. And you're like, Oh my God, that's where they are. Oh wow, there's trees here, you know. I have another example that actually is is Do it. I just thought of this really prescient to kind of what you're talking about, that mm-hmm. the whole forest for the trees. And I know that that's, you know, a well worn phrase, but with music, I think it's really, really accurate because, and especially with production, yeah. Because yeah, you do lose perspective, and you can lose perspective faster than you think. When I worked uh, on, uh, and I wasn't producing, I was a session musician on uh, one of Biff Naked's records, mm-hmm. and there was this song called "Spaceman," and uh, when I when I joined the outfit, "Spaceman" was sort of being touted as you know, as the single, this this is going to be like the first single off the album. This is mm. going to be, this is going to be the thing that sort of breaks this whole thing open. And, um, you know, at the time we all got cassettes <laughs> of, the, yes. of the demos. Right. And again, you know, this is what you do. You demo, you, you, you know, I think they were doing using a four or an eight track or something in, mm-hmm. in her manager's apartment and they were putting music down and uh, we had this producer uh, come out from uh, New York, and he's in Nashville now, this guy named Glenn Rosenstein. Uh, I learned so much from this guy. But um, anyway, um, when we, what we wound up doing is we wound up going into a rehearsal space for about five weeks with Glenn, with Biff. And, you know, we reviewed the demos and we started contributing ideas and how is this going to work and how much is this going to change and what are we going to, what are we going to do? And, and at one point I remember Glenn almost kind of taking me aside and sort of going, okay, I, I love the song Spaceman. I just think we need to do something different with this. And I, and I, I found out later there was a reason why he was taking me aside and not really telling anybody else about <laughs> this, which I will get to, but, um, Basically, he said, I want you to I want you to start putting in loops and I want you to start putting in some synthesizer stuff. And I want this to be kind of funky and cool and modern. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we'd still ha- we still had guitars and we still had live bass and we actually even did live drums. So there were loops and live drums and keyboards. And um, if you've ever heard Spaceman, 
you'll know what I'm talking about, man. Uh, it's, it, it is, it's, it's a melange. It's, it, it's slightly dance music, but still pretty rock. It's very pop. Um, anyway, when, <laughs> when our manager came in to hear what we'd been working on, he wasn't happy with it at all. Uh, he was quite upset actually that we had taken the demo and deviated so far <laughs> from the original how dare you uh and yeah no he he was not happy um and you know and again i get it like you know these are things that you know the artist has worked really hard on and they're trying to sort of craft something and and i know i i realized then that glenn was taking a risk as a producer that he was like we're going to do something different it's very different from what's on the demo it's it's actually very different compared to any other song on the album Mm mm-hmm we're going to take a risk. And, um, I just remember standing, (laughs) I smoked at the time. I'm in the, I'm in the rehearsal space lobby, (laughs) looking out the door. It's in Vancouver. It's dumping rain. And outside the door is the manager and Glenn arguing. (laughs) And it felt like for three hours, just three hours of them arguing. And I'm like, Oh, this is bad man fuck the producer's gonna get fired or we're gonna have to change everything we worked on and you know time goes by they both walk in i don't think peter said a word (laughs) the manager i think he was just like he kind of grumbled something and glenn said okay everyone back to what we were doing (laughs) and it worked it stayed (laughs) so you know um you know and and it worked i think it worked space man actually did really really well as a single it did, um, you know, um, but yeah, I, you know, and, and sometimes you just got to stand for that too. And it, it is, it's, it, there's a lot of compromise and there's a lot of things that, you know, you do kind of need to take risks on when you, when mm. you, when you are sort of an arranger type of producer, but you know, Hey man, that's a case where it totally worked and you got to kind of just, you know, sometimes you got to trust the producer. They might that's know it. what they're fucking talking about, man. Well, I mean, your cliche of forest for the trees, it's a cliche for a reason because it makes sense. And yeah. that, that happens frequently. We're all guilty yeah. of that. We're all very, very guilty of that in our, in our daily lives. Um, too close to something. You got to step back. Sometimes you got to look at, you know, how, how many times have you've heard somebody say, uh, you don't know what you've got till it's gone as the, another cliche goes. So you, yeah. because you're too close, you're standing there like, okay, yeah, no, whatever. Okay. This is meh, yeah, Okay. If the band breaks up, I don't care. It's all right. Blah, 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 blah. And then the band breaks up. And then two years later, you're like, damn, that was a pretty good band. Oh. You know, well, the being too close, it works with in Megan's example as well, because Mm -hmm. that was a song that she recorded like three years ago, four years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, and all I knew it was is that song is an earworm and it just we need to figure something out for that. So it took four years of not listening to it to come back and gain some perspective on it. Well, I think sometimes, too, it's the right set of ears listening to the song. Okay, classic example. Again, okay, Tim's going to talk about Kiss. Bob Ezrin <laughs> with Beth. Yeah. If that song goes to a different producer, there's no way that it sounds like what it does. You know? No, that's a good example, actually. Yeah, there's no very much way. So. It, was, it was an old song from a band that uh, the drummer was in, Peter was in previously, Peter Chris. And it was sort of like an acoustic folk rock song, you know? 
And, yeah, yeah. And he heard the, 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 the changes, and he, Bob Ezrin orchestrated that. He, he wrote the orchestral parts and plays the piano on the recording, you know? So without him, that song is just another on the pile of songs that, you know, oh, yeah, it's on side two, it's song five. Nobody cares, right? <laughs> So, and again, so, so maybe that's the thing. It's, it's just got to get to the right ears sometimes. So in the case of Megan with Boreal is that, yeah, that, that chorus, when you sent it to me, I listened to that chorus. I went, holy cow, I can't get this chorus out of my head, you know? Yeah. See? And and I, I was like, you know, I even tried, you know, screaming as loud as I could. We built this city to try to get it out of my head. It doesn't work, you know? We built this city. And then it's like, no, I'm still singing Boreal. So, um, but so again, I love the idea that it's it sometimes, you know, it's, it's, this is going to be all like super mushy and super, you know, super hippie on my part. But I've always believed that I don't need to look for cats. I love cats. I have cats, but I don't need to look yeah. for them because they find me, you know, and perhaps yeah. you feel the same way about your dogs, Adam. Um, I don't need to look for cats. I don't need to be that guy that's like, okay, I don't have enough cats at home, so I should go uh, on the internet. I should go here. I should go there. They find me, you know? Mm-hmm. Cats find me. And Randy, my cat Randy, is a perfect example. We found him as a little kitten under the deck. But that's, I think that's, to the the analogy is, before I go off on let's talk about cats and everything else. Um <laughs> Yeah, because that's that's another episode. Uh, on the next that's episode. an episode for feline brutality. That's a way. feline brutality. <laughs> <laughs> Saucer of milk, you know, slave to the man or something good to drink. Yes, so um, it's. I think the the, the the analogy is is that it's um is that it's the song is finding the right person sometimes. Like sometimes, yeah. you know, you give it to that producer. He's like, I'm going to pound this square peg into that round hole if it takes me all day. And then there's a guy like you that says, well, wait a minute. This doesn't fit there at all. You know, what if I deconstruct yeah. the square? And then I do this and I do that. And all of a sudden, wait a second. Now it fits perfectly into this parallelogram hole. You know, which it was no, everyone was like, well, should it be round or square? You found something else. I love that stuff. Well, you hear this all the time, too, actually, on, uh, you know, you hear interviews with artists saying things like that, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, I, I just knew that this song was good. I just didn't know how to make it into what it needed to be. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and sometimes that just takes like, yeah, a guy or a gal with a different perspective, a completely different perspective of going like, no, dude, you're not Depeche Mode. You're Motown, buddy. Be Motown. <laughs> this is, you need to be Motown. Cause this is, this is where it's at, man. Like, well, since I'm being Motown and since we're both being Motown, I should say, I think it's, I think it's time. I think it's time. Oh, is it that time? For that wondrous section we like to call Oblique Strategy. 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 All right, Adam. So I've got a card for you, my friend. Oh, to quote Frankenfurter, I've got anticipation. Oh, yes. And a Heinz ketchup commercial. 
and Carly Simon <laughs> all at once. Look at you go, man. Always yeah, thinking man. ahead. You know, yeah, Master yeah. of the metaphor. There you go. Ah. Yes. Playing the all long right. game, Adam Percy. So I got something for you here. And actually, this is amazing that I pulled this card because this kind of fits. I, I love how Brian Eno knows where we're going. These are tarot cards. These are not yeah. oblique strategies. But okay. Ask people to work against their better judgment. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. It's like those cards were reaching into our into the future. <laughs> They're <laughs> from like the future. Anticipating exactly sorry, can you read that again? Yeah, you ready? Yeah, I know, I know you read it. Yeah, yeah. As they say in French, he's getting rid of his frisson. He's getting rid of his his goose flesh. He's like, oh my god. Brian Eno wow. just looked into my soul and said, nice. So <laughs> feel invaded. <laughs> Ask people to work against their better judgment. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, that's totally exactly what we were talking about. And, and Biff and, Naked. Yeah. Well, definitely with Biff Naked. And, you know, I, oddly enough, I think even, you know, her manager, might now sort of even say, yeah, you know, that might, that might've been a good call. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause yeah. he's scratching the checks. Right. So there you go. <laughs> we did all right by that. That was yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, no, I mean, uh, I like gold <laughs> records. Those are fun. Yes. Yeah. They look nice <laughs> on my wall, but uh, no, but I, I, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, certainly, you know, sometimes, and and I, you see this all the time too, where where mm-hmm. you know some artists like to just work with the same producer over and over and over, and that's fine, that's great. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I would love an artist like that. If there's anybody who just wants to work with me, album after album, I'm here, man. <laughs> just give me a pick call. Me, but pick, pick uh, me, pick me, Adam Percy, pick, pick me. me. But sometimes it is nice too to sort of go, you know, to change it up sometimes, and and you know, try new things and get get that different perspective because yeah, it's going to, sometimes you, you, you may not even realize how much you need to be pushed out of your comfort zone to mm. make mm. something great. Yeah. You, you nice. need, sometimes you just need someone to give you and, and you may not like it and it may be a little bit uncomfortable and you may get a little pissy about it and that's <laughs> fine, <laughs> but you still need it. It's like it's like your grandmother like giving you like the really nasty medicine when you got to go. Oh, you're just going to have to take it like a man. That's it. <laughs> just take just take your medicine. Spoonful of sugar, try baby. Try something different. Let it go. You get a lollipop after. Maybe. You know. So, well, I mean, for me, I think it was my session with Gabrielle Papillon that we've talked about before. I yeah. think we talked about this with uh, Caroline Brooks. About That's a da- great example. Yeah. About Daniel Edwell. It's like, let's do a drum solo at the end of this really nice, airy, open, sweet song. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean, when I was 18, I did drum solos because I thought I was great. And then when, you know, I realized I wasn't, I stopped doing drum <laughs> solos. So, you know, uh, but this... His again against my better judgment. He's like, you got it. It's, this is what I'm looking for, and he's I I do it, and you know, kind of like Biff's manager, like, what? Why are you destroying the song? You know, why do you hate the artist that much? 
you know? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm paying you how much to, to, to literally, like, pull this apart? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you no, know, you, and you may feel pushback. If you're an artist, you may feel like you need to push back on that, and that's okay. I, I remember my, my reaction was, wait, what? That was my reaction. <laughs> you're kidding yeah. me, right? Uh, I'm, but, yeah. you know, you're a guy, too, where, like, and, and I think you said this, in, in you know, when we were talking about it before. You said, uh, when he explained it to me, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, it, like the light goes on. You well, know, actually, like, he, didn't, he didn't explain it to me. That was the thing. He did, he did afterwards. <laughs> he, well, no, he didn't have to. I heard the song afterwards, and I went, oh, my God. Like, he was playing the Adam Percy Long game. Like, nope. I see this ending up over there, you know, he's the guy that's, yeah. that says, yeah, I know there's a long drive and I know what I'm doing when I get to the end of it. Not the guy that's like, oh man, where do I have to pee? I got to stop. The food. Where's, where's the gas station? You know, like, should I eat the gas station sushi on the way? He's the guy that's already said, no, I'm driving from Montreal to Vancouver. And I know what I'm doing yeah. when I get to Vancouver, I'm going here and I'm doing this. You know oh, what I mean? Well, that's another thing too. Yeah, actually, and you you hit the nail on the head too with with the uh, the metaphor of the long game. Yeah, you know, you're making a record. You don't know where all these pieces like they're they're songs, but they're individual songs within a mm-hmm. record. So if the producer has a vision for yeah, maybe maybe it's something that's thematic, like you know the rolling waves of an ocean. Yeah, all across the record. Well, you know, in 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 the context of the entire album, that drum solo makes absolute 100% sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, got to trust the producer on that. So, and even though you were you were uncomfortable with that at first, it's you I know, did it. Hey man. You want you it? I'll it. do it. I'll you want it? I'll do it. And it worked. <laughs> totally fucking worked. Oh, totally. And at at the time, my smooth smooth brain couldn't figure it out, but when I heard it later on, I'm like, wow, this guy this guy's this guy walks amongst mortals. So, which are you ready for card number two, Mister Adam Burris? Oh wow, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you know Eno up on on Mount Olympus, strike me with thine cod bolt. Here comes a thunderclap for the ages, my friend. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> You've got the thunderclap. Um, <laughs> I got the clap. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's this one is. <laughs> You don't have to be ashamed of using your own ideas. Not to be ashamed of using your own ideas. I think I think Brian's yeah. on, Brian's on fire today, man. Like he's he's wow. he's he's the white hot passion of ten thousand suns. You know, this is kind of like the haunted house of Eno, man. Like yeah, I know, like ghosts happening here. But uh, yeah, no, you, you definitely not. Uh, well, yeah, and you know, maybe this is also sort of like a a. Um, a nod in the other direction. You know, we were talking about arrangers mm-hmm. being the persons contributing, you know, different ideas. Right. You know, as an artist, you're allowed to do that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're footing the bill. You got the grant, whatever. Uh, you know, yeah. you're paying for this fucking session. You know, if you have a wacky idea, in the words of my friend Glenn Rosenstein, who produced that Biff Naked record, just put it down. Put it down. Don't be afraid to present it. It might be crazy. It might be like, oh my God, we need an orchestra in here. And your producer is, 
you know, begins mm-hmm. crying into his coffee and chain smoking again. <laughs> you know? But maybe that is, you know, if you have a good producer, maybe a good producer will sort of, his light will go on and go, oh, yeah, you know what? Fuck, I think you're right on that one. Yeah. As, as it much of a pain in the ass that that will be to squeeze in 16, you know, <laughs> classically trained musicians into this tiny little studio. Mm-hmm. That I think that needs to happen. And hopefully you have hired a producer who, you know, can sort of, does sort of, you know, not only push boundaries with you, but also matches your vision. I think yeah. that's the thing too. So don't be afraid as an artist to, yeah, like throw out a kooky idea. Hey, you know what? Sometimes too, maybe you don't need an entire orchestra. Like uh, uh, I, I keep talking in the Biff Naked example, but her song Lucky, which was another big single on that album. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone thinks that that was orchestrated. It wasn't. We actually brought in a, a, another uh, producer who specialized in in creating sequenced orchestrations. Nice. Um, he used samplers. He did not use, we did not use a real orchestra in that. You wouldn't know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm giving away, I'm giving away a bit of a secret here, but it, it is, it sounds great. Yeah. It totally doesn't sound programmed. It sounds like a string section. Um, and a lot of that is how they mixed it, but yeah, you know, maybe your producer has the foresight to go, Oh, well, I've got this old Akai sampler here and it's got great string samples. Let's see what we can do with that. Yeah. Let's mellow, <laughs> let's mellotron this bastard, you know, like, uh, yeah. but I mean, I think what's fascinating about that too, is your own ideas. I mean, I remember years and years ago with Paul Casey, we're in the studio and I'd written this little one-off song as kind of a half joke. Um, It was just me being, you know, at the time I was super into the whole JFK thing, right? The whole assassination thing. And that was, that was, you know, at the time of the, the the Oliver Stone movie and there are a million books and you could buy all the, the videotapes and stuff. And, you know, here's the 14th uh, area, you know, blah, blah, blah. And here's another way of looking at the shot and yada, yada. So I wrote this little song and I jokingly called it Surfing JFK because Paul and I had written a song <laughs> called Surfing DOA, sort of ripping, not ripping off the, uh, not ripping off the Beach Boys, but sort of like, you know, sort of a thumb in the eye towards, we like the Beach Boys, but it's kind of like a thumb in the eye calling it Surfing DOA and then playing like a punk rock song, right? So I called yeah. this song Surfing JFK and we're in the studio and Paul's like, you got to sing this. I'm like, I'm not a lead singer, you know? <laughs> and he's like, nope, you got this. You have to do this. So I go in and I do it and it's, it's, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of sound like that guy a little bit from what, what was that band? The crash test dummies. Superman. You know, except ex- except he could actually sing where I could, you know, I'm 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 you know, faking my way through. I'm a I'm a decent backing <laughs> singer, but I'm not a lead singer. So, but uh, using your own ideas, I love the uh, you know. Hey Adam, I have this idea on this song. Another example is when we did some stuff for NLX when you we did you did the NLX remixes, and you sent me yes. one of her tracks, and yep. I put put what you called the anvil on the song. You know, ah uh, yes. Yeah, and you were and you were like, "What is that? I love that." You know, and again, <laughs> do it more, it, do do more of that. You know, it's like again, use your own ideas. So, I think if you've got good ideas, and even if they don't get it, get onto the tape, so to speak, 
you know, if you're with the right producer, you're still going to get the best version of your song possible. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It should, it, you should feel like it is a collaboration. We, yes. We've mentioned that word a few times, but you know, it, you, you should, even if you're nervous to present really wacky ideas, you should mm-hmm. feel like you can at least present them and discuss them. If they're not feasible, they're not feasible. If, you know, if there's arguments to be made whether they work or not, well, that's another fucking thing. But you should feel comfortable enough to sort of present that. Uh, you should not be afraid to, to you know, like listen to that crazy little voice in there. Uh, actually, speaking of Carolyn Brooks, she was talking about how the, how uh, Daniel Ledwell took their voices and made a Mellotron patch yeah. out of that. You know, to put that on their style of music seems a little weird at first but when you listen to that it's magic it's absolute fucking magic it makes total sense but you know that that is and and that is pretty much you know putting an electronic music element <laughs> into, into folk folk into music. folk yeah. you know slight country sort of vibe but it's it that's what you do and and it and it totally worked and and you know take even taking a little small risk like that Mm-hmm. Made total sense, and it and it yeah, it, it absolutely works. So do that. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not fear your creative energies. <laughs> they must come forth. Find the producer that like works with you that that makes you better. You know, I've always found yeah. it. I've always found it frustrating when you're working with a producer that really he's the guy pressing. And we talked about this earlier in the podcast. The guy hitting record. That's not a producer. That's, that's, that's an the engineer. engineer. That's the, that's the tape op guy. You know, yeah. like I've worked with people where it's like, I'm the producer. Cause I press p- record, you know, I helped you mix the album. Yeah. No, you're actually the engineer and the mixer. You know, the producer is the guy that has a, has a little bit of a vision. So, um, yeah. you know, I mean, producers can change sounds of bands. Again, another great example, REM after document, yeah. they sound document. Scott lit changed their sound. You know, yeah. and and if you listen to their stuff on the IRS record label, their sound changes a little bit. They're still them, but their sound changes a little bit as they're going through different producers who are sort of, you know, running it through their own particular meat grinder. So, and I like that. I like I like actually I do like artists that try different producers and try mm-hmm. different things. And you know, again, again, it's it's and it probably depends on the frequency of you know, the albums and music that you produce, but mm-hmm. you know, it, I love the idea of fresh perspective all yeah. the time. Like I'm never averse to, you know, having someone come in and, you know, try, try something different. You just never know what you're going to get out of it. it. You know, denying, denying it mm-hmm. just guarantees that, you know, you'll never, you may never see the full potential of what it is that you're recording. Oh, and that's it. So, I mean, my last. If it doesn't ex- work, you take it out in the mix. It's done. Well, that that's it. <laughs> like you <it's> underdub, <laughs> which actually that's perfect, Adam, because you led me into my last point of uh, when I worked with Jennifer Johnson. There was a song she had called "Low Down City," which is a great little blues shuffle, and there was a guitar part in it, and everything sounded great. And then she brought in this great piano player, Peter Mika, uh, who lives in Montreal, and he came in and he knocked out this crazy piano part. But it doesn't fit with the guitar now. So we, we were faced with a dilemma during the mixing. It's like, well, what do yeah. we do? Yeah, ooh. 
what do we keep parts but they don't work yeah this is not chocolate and peanut butter this is more like chocolate and mayonnaise this doesn't work you know so yeah there you go yeah Mm. Mm. delicious hershey bar in the in the mayonnaise but so we what we ended up doing was we solo one solo the other and we came to a decision that the piano part stays in during the verses but it disappears for the lead because the lead we love the lead that the guitar player yeah. had played Sean yeah. my buddy Sean had played and we were like that that lead stays so it's piano all the way through boom piano's gone lead comes in piano comes back because the piano didn't make sense for the lead but yeah. again it's you never know like you said you never know yeah i it, 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 you you yeah i I think as well, but that lends to sort of what we'd been talking about before about being precious with things. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be, you have to be open to what works with what serves the song in the end. And that's you know, it. Sometimes it does mean, you know, it it doesn't mean that that guitar player's part was shit. It no. actually it sounds like it was actually a really great part, but just that that song just needed that piano at that time. Yeah, and it just needed to it. You know, and it didn't, it just didn't need the guitar. So yeah. the guitar can go. And, you know, piano goes in the chorus and guitar is in the chorus. Like, and then boom, you have a fantastic song. So there you go. There you go. There you and go, buddy. by the sounds of it, there we go. Because this sounds like another fantastic episode of Audible Brutality. Audible Brutality. Well done, Tim. That was really great. I, you know. We got a lot off our chests there. There you go. That was more fun than a barrel of monkeys with what? What would these barrel of monkeys have? That's actually fun. Lots mayonnaise of mayonnaise and chocolate. Mayonnaise and chocolate, <laughs> and maybe some balloons. I don't know. This is this is becoming very strange. I don't know. This is. I think that there must be some sort of porn site out there with that fetish. Mm, mayonnaise, chocolate, and balloons. Ah, and monkeys. Ah. Anyway, so this is getting strange. Yeah, that's for that's for uh, <laughs> porn brutality. Our other there, yeah, yeah, that's our other podcast, which none of you know. It's it's on the dark web. No kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> Secret is out. <laughs> Tim so, and Adam on the tour <laughs> once again. Adam and Tim are saying to Gareth Carr, "Where are your songs?" Yeah, dude. Hurry up already. Yeah, and we're saying to our listeners, "Hi, Rob. Hi, Paul. Hi, hi, uh, hi, Lee." Um, oh, and hi, my new, my, our new listener, Karen, who I've, well, I knew her way back in the day and we've reconnected, which is fun. So hi, Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi to all of our friends who want to listen to us and want to buy our stuff. And Adam made sexy shirts and please buy them because we really need the scratch. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, hey, uh, hit us on all the socials. Love us, like us. Listen to us, carry us around with you in your portable device. We Absolutely. are so thrilled to be in your ear holes every now and then. Hey, and I want to put this out there too that if you happen to be on our website or if you're on our Facebook page and you want to like uh, give us some feedback, maybe like leave a comment. Uh, hey, why don't you guys interview so and so? Or hey, why doesn't why does that fucking guy Adam keep talking? Good, bad, whatever. <laughs> you know that was Give me that was feedback. typing that one, right? You know that was me writing that review. What's with the other yeah. guy? 
<laughs> it's your other secret profile you didn't tell me about, Tim. I know, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. God, <laughs> guy Adam, he talks all the time. But yeah, no. Yeah, um, yeah. Give us your feedback. We we want your feedback. Uh, you know, we relish. We we roll in it like a barrel full of relish. Mm, mm. Green pickle. Relish. Yeah, baby. Mm, so um, relishy. So yeah, you, give us. Yeah. yeah. If you think of anybody that you think we should interview, now come on, don't say but John Bon Jovi because I don't know him, and neither does Adam. <laughs> but if there's, but hey, if he wants to, yeah, we'd love to. But if you can think of anybody, if you know, and you know, you're probably going to tell us, hey, my uncle Frank played guitar in 1975. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. Frank might you be never interesting, know. man. Frank's perspective Frank might be might an interesting be- dude. Might just be the perspective we require on this silly little podcast. So, yes, Mr. Adam Percy, I bid you a fond adieu from Quebec, from Saint Jerome. Uh, Mr. Tim, I say, see you, dude, from <laughs> sunny, sunny, sunny Diamond Island, British Columbia. Audible Brutality is presented by Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven and recorded remotely on Denman Island, British Columbia, and in Saint Jerome, Quebec. Music submissions or general inquiries can be made through our website at audiblebrutality.com. Give us a like on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Audible Brutality podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening.